Bibles, please, to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to read the first three verses, and then I'm going to have you turn with me over to Jeremiah chapter 29 as well. We'll, we'll be spending the bulk of our time in Jeremiah today, uh, but we'll, we will transition there. I'll, I'll show you what we're doing as soon as we are done with the readings, thankfully. Okay, so 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. <clears throat> Here now, the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. Wherefore, laying aside all malice, and all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speakings, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now turn with me over to Jeremiah chapter 29, we'll begin our reading in verse 1. Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders which were carried away captives, and to the priests, and to the prophets, and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. After that Jeconiah the king, and the queen, and the eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, and the carpenters and the smiths, were departed from Jerusalem by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon, build ye houses and dwell in them, and plant gardens, and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives, and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that ye may be increased there, and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city, whither I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it, for in the peace thereof shall ye have peace." For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken uh, to your dreams which ye cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. For thus saith the Lord that after seventy years be accomplished at Babylon... I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me and ye shall go and pray unto me and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again 
to the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. We could very well read the rest of the chapter, but for the sake of time we will forego. The quotation uh, to help us get started here is from the Reverend Thomas White, 17th century nonconformist English preacher. For we must not only have high thoughts of God's other excellencies, but of his goodness also, of his abundant willingness to do us good and loathness to afflict us. For surely he never afflicts us, but in case of necessity. If need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. When he afflicts us, he only gives us necessaries. But when he bestows mercies, he gives us not only for our necessity, but richly to enjoy. When we go to a covetous man for money, he parts with every penny as with a drop of blood. For us to think God parts with so with his mercies that he is hard to be entreated and that he is a hard master either for work or wages, our thoughts utterly unworthy and shamefully dishonorable to the goodness of God. If thy child, whose finger, if it should but ache, thine heart aches, should think thou grudgest him every bit of meat which he eats, wouldst thou, thou wouldst think of him as a wretched child, unworthy of thy tender affections, and must not be far worse in thee, and must it not be far worse in thee to have such thoughts of God? Well, Mr. White has managed in one little paragraph to sum up seven sermons, hasn't he? Really good stuff there. Really, really good stuff. So, we have been talking about having hard thoughts of God. <coughs> that God, you know, doesn't want to do us good. That he's deprived us. And we have we had those seven points, right? Seven points. Uh, we saw that hard thoughts of God uh, normally consist in a legal performance. That was the first one. If we're self-righteous, we'll, we'll look at God and uh, we'll think of him uh, that he doesn't reward us for our great effort. We'll think hard thoughts of him. Uh, in the second, we said that we would wrongly use the chastisement of the Lord when we are afflicted to think hard rather than childlike and loving thoughts of God toward him. When we spank our children, what do we say? This is, this is because we love you. It's that insolent child that thinks hard, oh, you just like to beat up on me, right? Third, uh, doubting the Lord's provision and care, seeing the withholding of things as hard and cruel rather than as loving and kind. Sometimes, as James will tell us, you have not because you ask not. You have not because you ask amiss. I'm preventing you from spending it on your own lust, from inflaming your own lust, God says. Don't think hard of me for doing it. Fourthly, when obeying the Lord and suffering persecution for obedience or deprivation or the loss of friends or loved ones, on behalf of obedience, we think that God is not uh, treating with us as he should. Fifth, when we endure long in prayer without an answer or resolution, we tend to think of God that his ear is not inclined to us. That's the temptation. We ought not to think that. 
6. When we are tempted, we are tempted to entertain hard thoughts of God when we do not receive the spiritual blessings we anticipated or we expected. We expected to have this sin behind us by now, and we haven't. Surely God has not blessed us as He should have. Right? And then finally, seventh, we said that we entertain hard thoughts of God when we hear the world's sermon that we deserve better. The world is always there to tell us that. The tempter, our own lusts, are always there to tell us that we deserve better than what we have, whereas we certainly do not. The Lord has never, ever, while we are yet alive, punished us in a way that is commensurate with our infinite offense against Him. We do not deserve better. We deserve worse. And so we fail to see it from that proper perspective. Beloved, as these seven things are related, I would also tell you that they don't exhaust the temptations to think hard thoughts of God. We could add perhaps another seven to these if we wanted to work hard enough at it. Right? This is, if you will, a jump start for your own hearts so that you might think on these things. And those situations where you yourselves are tempted to think hard thoughts of God. Well, those of you that know me or have heard my preaching over the years will know that one of the things that I like to do is develop memorable locutions, something that we can remember easily that will teach this depth of thought that we're after. And this is why we're in Jeremiah chapter 29 this week. So from 1 Peter 3, we said that we have tasted that the Lord is gracious. We want to keep all of our tastings in line with the Lord's graciousness. Rather than thinking hard thoughts of Him, we want to think gracious thoughts of Him, good thoughts of Him, such that we will be tempted not to turn away from Him, but to continue feasting upon His goodness. Right? So if you've tasted that the Lord is gracious, let's go ahead to the full draft, in other words. Let's go ahead to that gulping and slurping that Isaiah speaks about in Isaiah 49. Okay, so how do we do that? Here's the locution. Perhaps you can remember this. A remedy for thinking hard thoughts of God is to remember what Jeremiah reminds us of, the thoughts that God thinks toward us. Instead of having hard thoughts of God, think of the thoughts that God has toward us. And we might add, in Christ. Can you remember that? This is exactly what Jeremiah is talking about in Jeremiah chapter 29. Let's turn, if you're, if you're still there, great. If not, go ahead and turn back to Jeremiah 29. We read 1 through 14. The balance of the chapter talks about several different things. Those who think hard thoughts of God and, and will uh, not, not hear what God said and what will happen to them and also those who will listen to the Lord and will be blessed for it. Okay? So, we have enough to make, I think, a very edifying time together here from, from verses 1 through 14 without considering the balance of the passage. So, in verses 1 through 3, we have the introduction to the letter. This is a letter that Jeremiah himself wrote. It's the word of the prophet, which tells us, beloved, that it's the word of the Lord. This letter that Jeremiah wrote is the inspired word of God. And it is written from Jeremiah, who is still in Jerusalem, 
to the captives that have been carried away to Babylon. We will remember that Jeremiah never saw Babylon. He stayed ministering in Jerusalem. He went over to Anathoth where he had a tract of land which was near Jerusalem. Then he was brought back to Jerusalem. And then he was carried away somewhat against his will to Egypt by the apostates. Right? Okay, so Jeremiah stayed among the rebellious ones preaching the word of the Lord. It's a good example for those who are in ministry or ascribing to ministry that the audience doesn't determine um, whether or not we stay in the fight. Okay? All right, so this letter is written to the captives. What kind of captives are there there? Priests, prophets, people. So they're not without teachers. They're not without um, religious officers, church officers. They're there. Okay? And... And then it's sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, so, so there are officials there. It's not just general folks that have been carried away captive, but there have been civil officials and church officials carried away captive to Babylon. And Jeremiah writes a letter to them all. This is the word of the Lord. What would you think a people might be thinking that are carried away captive? Oh, the Lord has forsaken us, right? Now, we'll, we, we will also want to remember in setting up the history so we'll rightly understand the passage that Jeremiah was the prophet that was telling them, go out and be captured by the king of Babylon. Go out and be captured by him. Because this city is going to be destroyed and anyone found in the city when it is destroyed will themselves be killed. Salvation, although it seems unlikely to you people of God, salvation will be found outside, not inside Jerusalem. You must go out, be taken by the king of Babylon to Babylon, taken captive. And so they have obeyed. But now there are prophets and diviners among them, as they're called <clears throat> in this passage, that are encouraging them to do something. And what is that? <clears throat> they are being encouraged uh, with a false expectation that Nebuchadnezzar will soon leave Jerusalem. And the Lord says, that's not going to happen. But in the mindset of an Israelite that's been raised on the, on the knowledge that Jerusalem is Zion, the city of the living God, it would be near impossible without, an, without a supernatural or extraordinary amount of faith for them to take the word of Jeremiah the prophet, to receive it and to walk by faith and not by sight and leave the city and be taken captive and to believe that that was the way of blessing. May I say it this way? They would be tempted to think hard thoughts of God, wouldn't they? Here we are in Babylon, away from Jerusalem. Certainly God has somehow ceased to be gracious to us. Okay, so it is to a people just like that that Jeremiah will write. They are in danger, if you will, of thinking hard thoughts of God. They have people 
that are tempting them to think hard thoughts of God with their false prophecies. They look around themselves and they see that they are captives. Well, they have a set of choices, don't they, before them. They have a number of choices that they can choose to undertake here. And it is an interesting thing to think about, right? They might have just put their arms like this and steeled their jaw, put up their lip and said, we're going to defy this king of Babylon at every turn here in this city. We're going to become subversive. We shouldn't be here. Right? They would blame the providence that God has brought upon them, upon a wicked actor, and fail to see God's hand in it. And they would be tempted to think hard thoughts of God in that way. And we might say that's a viable option. They certainly could have chosen to done that, to. To do that, he certainly could have. But the letter from Jeremiah is completely opposite from that and helps us also when we are under any kind of difficulty, oh, I don't know, like captivity in Babylon, to think good thoughts, high thoughts, rather than hard thoughts of God. So let's hear what Jeremiah has to say to these folks to encourage them. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, verse 4. This tells us that he's speaking the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. You see the first word of the Lord to them? You are not out from under my care or providence. I've caused you to be carried away captive. Our first step then, beloved, in not thinking hard thoughts of God is what? Remember that we are not out from under God's command and care. No matter how difficult the difficulty is, no matter how deep the affliction is, we must remember that God has a good, upright, saving, fatherly, purpose in it no matter the circumstances and here beloved we must learn to walk by faith and not sight our eyes will tell us something different our conscience may tell us something different our conscience can be wrong our eyes can be wrong we must walk by faith I have sent you to Babylon the Lord sent them there they are thereby assured that they are right where they need to be. Right in the midst of that trouble, beloved, right in the midst of that affliction is exactly where you need to be. Where I need to be. The Lord put us right here, right now, under this heavy affliction and trouble. Why? Because He has the right thoughts toward us, as we'll see later in the passage. Secondly, they are to continue in this obedience and make the most of it. <laughs> not only, not only are, to you, are you to remain in Babylon, don't head back prematurely to Jerusalem, don't think God's going to deliver you. Don't be like King Zedekiah, wicked King Zedekiah, who calls Jeremiah unto himself and says, Oh, without repentance, Jeremiah, will not God bring forth all of his mighty works toward us and send Nebuchadnezzar packing? 
No. That's the short answer. No, he won't. The city's going to be destroyed, Zedekiah. Get rid of your false hope. Right? So don't have false hope. Instead, make the most of the trouble that you have. That's the point. What does he say? Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens, eat the fruit of their Eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives, beget sons and daughters. Take wives to your sons. Give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters that ye may be increased there and not diminished. The Lord will remind them that it's going to be 70 years. And here's the amazing thing about the 70 years, beloved. Some of you will see the deliverance and some of you won't. But you are to remain faithful and if we can put it in a modern colloquialism, continue to make lemonade out of the lemons. My hard providence toward you, says God, is not for your destruction. It is for your advance. It is for your advancement, God says. For your spiritual advance. So, build your houses, plant your vineyards, marry and have children so that you will be increased and not diminished in this affliction. Can you say that about your troubles, beloved? That in the midst of the troubles that God sends, um, that may sometimes feel like being carried off to Babylon captive, that the Lord has such a plan for you to live in the midst of your troubles? Or... And I pray this is true of none of us here. Is our love for God conditional? I'll love God if he delivers me from this thing. Will you love God if he delivers you in this thing rather than from it? This is what they're asked to do. This is what Jeremiah tells them to do. Rather than thinking hard thoughts of God, notice that they are to take the hard circumstance that they're under and to behave themselves as if God has a wonderful plan for them in it. Build houses, plant vineyards, marry and have children. Be advanced and not diminished. God has a good plan in the midst of this captivity. Well, I can't think of something more afflicting than to be carried away captive. Yet in it, the Lord has a blessing there. So they are to make the most of their affliction. They are to use it faithfully. Now, I think just by point of clarification here, you already know this. But when they are to marry and to take wives and husbands and so on, those are among their fellow Israelites. They're not to marry Babylonians, obviously. They are to remain that distinct people of God even in the midst of Babylon but they are to rejoice. And finally, Jeremiah tells them, seek the peace of that city. You know why? Because there's a grape in it. The Lord is going to be merciful to the cluster because a grape is in it. That is the grape of his people. And in the, in the, in the city's peace, you will have peace. So, build your houses, plant your vineyards, marry, have children. Some of you will get to return. Some of you will not. 
Some of you, beloved, this is a hard word, but hear it. Some of you, in the way that you react and respond to the afflictions that God sends, will be able to set the table for your children that they will learn how to react and respond in that way as well. And sadly, the opposite is also true. If we pinch and moan and whine and think hard thoughts of God in the midst of those afflictions, what table have we set for those who will be invited to return? And may I say sadly that those of you who have read the Chronicles of the Return, how few returned to Jerusalem. How few. Why? Well, it doesn't say so, but I think it's a good implication to say that their parents had soured them with their own complaining and murmuring at their captivity. They thought hard thoughts of God. And they passed on those hard thoughts to their children who refused then the blessing of returning to Jerusalem to worship the Lord under his command and by his priests. The third instruction that they have, the the first instruction was, you're right where I have you, right? The second instruction was, learn to do well under this trouble, right? The third instruction, do not let anyone, no prophet, no dreamer of dreams, deceive you, And take away your contentment with my providence, which is infallibly provided to you by the prophet Jeremiah. Do not let anyone turn your heart away from that pleasure that you can have in my hard providence. Don't let anyone turn you away from making the most out of the difficulties that have been sent to you. Don't let anyone uh, cause you to pine for something that you will not have. So that you turn away from what you do. And so, don't listen to those prophets, those dreamers, those diviners that would whisper in your ear, Oh, this affliction is going to be very short. We can endure. We'll grit it out. Don't worry about it. We don't need to build houses. We're going back to Jerusalem sooner than you think. One of the things that I sometimes uh, say when I'm sitting with people and they're having some difficulty, is I say to them, and this is not a popular thing when Pastor Todd says it, but just so you know, I do say it sometimes. What if it never changes? What if it never changes? What What if this trouble that you're wanting out from under never changes? There were some people to whom Jeremiah wrote this letter that were older adults that would not be alive when they returned, when, when, when the return came 70 years later. They would not be alive, yet they were told what? To continue under trouble flourishing rather than thinking hard thoughts of God that he'd somehow deprived them of their land, their city, their property, their houses. Build new houses. Plant new vineyards. Beloved, wherever you're found, whatever trouble you're under, the Lord is telling you the same thing here. Build a new house then. Plant another vineyard. 
marry, give in marriage, have children, flourish, advance, and pray for the peace of the condition where you are rather than pining for something that you don't have. Because you will ne- sometimes you will never have it. And so you will become over time embittered instead. We think hard thoughts of God for too long. Those hard thoughts become hardened in our own minds. Learn then. We must learn the lesson from Jeremiah here. So then, we have, we have come down to uh, verse 9. They prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them. Now verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord's promise. For thus saith the Lord that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. According, of course, the, the you there is a mixed you. It, it is a multiple you, but it includes those who will never see that and those who will. They consider themselves as an entire covenant people. And the covenant people, as covenant people, will indeed be delivered after 70 years, though. And so some of them will never see it. Would it be right for those that never see it to be jealous? To be envious of those who would? No. No, because they too are right where God has them. They too have been carried away at their particular age under the command and counsel providence of God. So verse 10 then, Hear the word of the Lord's promise. It will not be with you or with your children like this forever. Hear my promise. You will be delivered out from trouble. And then we have the thesis of it. And what's the thesis? For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an end or an expected end. We will understand that as An end that includes confidence and hope. We're talking about thinking hard thoughts of God. When we we are tempted to to think hard, hard thoughts of God, what ought we to do instead? We ought to, verse 11, remember the thoughts that God has toward us. And what are those thoughts, beloved? We know what they are. The Bible tells us what they are. Over and again we read in Scripture the thoughts that God has toward us. What are they? Thoughts of love and mercy. Thoughts of forgiveness and grace. Thoughts that are so high, beloved, that as the Apostle Paul will put it, He that spared not his only begotten Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with Christ freely give us all things? Let's understand all rightly there. Not all that we desire, or we think we deserve, or we think we need, but all things he knows we need. He knows we will profit from. He knows 
we will be drawn to him in. Those kinds of things. If he did not spare Christ, and he didn't, then he will spare nothing. There's nothing that will be spared. So the Lord reminds them then. He reminds them here in verse 11, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Now, may I say that this is a mercy and a grace from God to reveal that. How would you know the thoughts of God? You wouldn't. Sometimes we have trouble even with our own thoughts, don't we? We deceive ourselves. We, we put the best construction on our thoughts. We give ourselves a break. We excuse ourselves and accuse others. Right? Sometimes we have trouble with our own thoughts. But may I say, God never has trouble with his thoughts. He knows exactly what he thinks. Because he thinks everything all the time. Doesn't he? This is what it means to be omniscient. It is perhaps not understandable to us. But there's no time element in God's omniscience. He doesn't know more tomorrow than he did today. Omniscience is simply all of it, all the time, from every perspective. Right? And so when God says, I know the thoughts I think toward you, there's no confusion there. Beloved, you can trust him when he says that. He's speaking the truth. The difficulty is that sometimes the thoughts that God thinks toward us are not the thoughts that we think toward ourselves. And so we get ourselves at odds with the thoughts that God thinks. God knows what we need. We think we need something else. Like we heard a few moments ago from James chapter 4, right? You have not because you ask not. You, have, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may spend it, consume it upon your own lusts. And sometimes God in his mercy deprives us of things that we would use sinfully. He knows the thoughts that he thinks toward us. And what are they? What does it say? Thoughts of peace. And whenever we hear that word peace in scripture, we must understand exactly what it means. It is not peace like tranquility. It is peace with God through Jesus Christ. The thoughts that God thinks toward those captives that belong to him are thoughts of peace. This, beloved, is what you need, the Lord will tell his people through Jeremiah. This is what you need for the Eternal salvation of your souls. The Lord troubles no one simply for the sake of trouble. But because he thinks thoughts of peace toward his own. Peace with God through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5 and so on. So thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you an expected end. That is. That if my thoughts toward you are peace and you understand that my thoughts toward you are, are, are peace and not evil, then you won't think hard thoughts of me. Actually, what you'll think of me is you will think of me in hope and in confidence that what is happening to you is exactly what needs to happen to you. The circumstances in which you find yourselves then are not happenstance. 
Remember, point one, you're right where you belong. I sent you there. Number two, learn to flourish under those afflictions. I sent you there for your advancement, not your diminishing. And third, pray for the peace of that city. No matter what the trouble is, pray for its peace. Pray that you will have peace in it because in the peace of the city, you too will have peace. And so what the Lord did in in carrying them away captive, he protected the people of God with their captivity. Did you ever think of that? He protected the people of God with their captivity. They were tempted to think of it as a burden, a deprivation, as an affliction, as though it was uh, uh, some some, uh, irremedial difficulty. And though it was a chastisement, it was for their salvation and preservation. So is every trouble that the Lord sends to you, beloved. So is every trouble that he sends to you. And we're often tempted not to think that way about salvation, right? Because we think of salvation as a commodity. You know, I've sat with a lot of people and they will tell me, well, after I got salvation, and then they'll, you know, go on and tell me some thing that's happening in their lives and so on. You see, with the Lord, this is much more of a continuum than we want to admit. You know, if salvation is a commodity or if, if, if you will, it's a, it's a door that you simply can drag yourself over the threshold of. Well, then after you're in, you're in, right? And you don't need to worry about anything else ever again. And you can pine and you can, you can complain and you can murmur and you can do all that stuff. And it doesn't really matter because you're in, you know. You've got your salvation. Well, sometimes I, I think that, that salvation, regeneration, if you will, happens a lot later than a lot of people think in their lives. I don't know because I can't see it. The Lord has hidden that from us. What he has placed at our, at, our, uh, at our understanding to read and to understand is he has placed this, this doctrine of perseverance and continuing on and learning how to flourish in the midst of the difficulties that he brings for our edification and salvation. Paul will say as much, right? Paul will say, do not uh, be troubled at my afflictions for your sake, which are your salvation. Interesting, isn't it? That the Apostle Paul would say, it's fine with me if I suffer in preaching of the gospel because it means your salvation. Right? That we can move down the road together toward that. You know, we have this threshold mentality. We can just get over the threshold. It's not, it's not what the Bible presents. The Bible presents... Christianity is a step-by-step. It's not a decision, but every decision for Christ. That's, what, that's why we're commanded to disciple, not to save. Right? And so the people of God there in Babylon, they are to receive this affliction as a chastisement for their salvation, preservation, and perseverance. And that's why they're told to build houses, plant vineyards, marry Continue on. Then they're told to remain in obedience. Like the people who obeyed the prophet Jeremiah, so also we, beloved, we must obey the Lord in our difficult circumstances. Leaving off obedience means forfeiture of that hopeful and confident end, doesn't it? 
Oh, the Lord may still save us, though as through fire. That's up to him. But I can tell you the means that he's prescribed for that, that we remain obedient under affliction, no matter how long it is, because it is indeed for us, for our good. Know the thoughts that God thinks toward you, and that will cure your hard thoughts toward him. The Apostle Paul will speak to us about this in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. Let's go ahead and turn there. I was going to quote it, but I can only quote one of those verses. I need to be able to quote all three of them because they're all pertinent to what we're talking about here. (coughs) Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. You have an opportunity The people in Babylon had an opportunity. They could sow to the flesh. They could say, let's just hunker down for the two or three years that we're going to be here. Let's try to escape at every turn. Let's not go to Babylon at all. Those were some of the carnal responses. Or they could uh, build houses, plant vineyards, raise children, teach them not to think hard thoughts of God, but to remember the Thoughts that God has toward them. They could sow to the spirit instead of sowing to the flesh. What does Paul say? If you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit, you reap life and peace. The people in Babylon had a choice. They could sow to the flesh or to the spirit. Jeremiah counseled them as to how to sow to the spirit. And that counsel is good for us as well. In your afflictions, beloved, are you thinking hard thoughts of God and sowing to the flesh? Or are you maintaining high thoughts of God and sowing to the Spirit, and reaping life, and what was that other word? Oh yeah, peace. Peace with God through Jesus Christ. In due time, that is God's due time, you will reap. If what? If you faint not. If you don't become weary in well-doing. And so you persevere in that obedient stance, even in Babylon. So then, live your life in your affliction. Proverbs 26.10 tells us, "If if, If thou failest in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. Remember that verse? Thy strength is small. We may feel that. We may feel that our strength is small. I can't persevere in Babylon, Pastor. I'm sorry, I can't. But what should you do in a case like that? You should remember what the Lord has said in Isaiah 40. Right? What does the the prophet Isaiah say in Isaiah chapter 40? And what can we sue the Lord for in prayer? Hast thou not known, verse 28, hast thou not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. 
There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I'm certain that the Pharisee Paul had much of the book of Isaiah memorized. And when he wrote Galatians 6, 9, he had Isaiah 40 in mind. Beloved, if we have no strength, we know where to go to apply for it. Rather than simply throwing up our hands, I have no strength, I have no strength. Let us go to the one who does. Strength to endure the affliction. Strength to obey in the affliction. Strength to advance in the affliction. Strength to know the Lord's peace in it. Rather than thinking hard thoughts of God, remember the gracious and loving thoughts God has toward us. So then, lift up or live your life in your affliction. That's what the Lord tells them to do in Babylon. Live your life. Don't let the affliction govern you. That's not who you are. You're my people. You're only in Babylon for a time. Build houses. Plant vineyards. Live in Babylon. How many folks do you know that have a Christian profession are indeed ruled by their affliction rather than living instead don't be ruled by your affliction know that your God has loving thoughts toward you don't be ruled by it then be reminded of God's goodness in the day to day care What are they going to do when they're building houses, planting vineyards, eating the fruit, marrying, giving in marriage, having children? They're going to know the regular blessings of life, even in the midst of their trouble. They are refusing to let the trouble define who they are. They are living before God in the trouble. Certainly what we must do, especially if we're thinking good and high thoughts of God. So live your life in your affliction. What if they focused on the providence the Lord had sent, became despondent, and refused to live in that circumstance? They would have compounded their ministry. Sorry, misery. They would have lost their hope, and they would have been tempted to doubt and finally to curse the Lord for their troubles. Beloved, may I say that there are professing Christians that take that route instead. As your pastor, I'm here to stand in that way. It's my job to stand in your way when you do that. And to tell you the truth instead. Don't let your troubles define you. Build house. Plant a vineyard. Marry. Give in marriage. Have children. Recognize in those living circumstances that God hasn't left you, that he is continuing to think kindly toward you, that he has you under this affliction for some necessity, as we heard from Reverend White in our quotation. 
Note that in living your life in this affliction, then you will be increased and not diminished. What did the Lord do for the Israelites while they were in Egypt? How many persons went down to Egypt? Seventy. How many came out? Millions. While they were slaves. Shall they define themselves then as Egypt's slaves? Or shall they define themselves as the blessed and advanced of God? Well, you know the answer to that question. Don't you? Did not the Lord increase the Israelites while in bondage in Egypt? Do not say in your heart, yes, but he could have increased them without it. He could have made them millions without slavery. That's right, he could have. There are untold ways that God might order his providence, but only one way that he has. And he has because he knows. And so there is no trouble that is overtaking you, but such is its common demand. But God is faithful that with the temptation will provide a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, flee idolatry. The idolatry of our own ideology that says, this is what I should have instead. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Can you have this kind of faith then? Turn with me to Lamentations chapter 3, verse 32. I recognize I'm at the end of my time, so I'll be brief. Lamentations chapter 3. 32, beginning in verse 31 instead, For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he doth not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men to crush under his feet all the prisoners of the earth, to turn aside the right of a man before the face of the Most High, to subvert a man in his cause, the Lord Approveth not. What is Jeremiah saying there? In the midst of not being carried away captive to Babylon, but being a witness of the destruction of Jerusalem, as it lies in ruins around me, I will refuse to think hard thoughts of God. He does not afflict willingly. Literally it says there, he does not afflict from his heart. That is that when the Lord sends affliction, it's not affliction for affliction's sake that he sends. It's affliction for flourishing's sake that he sends. Think high thoughts of him. Can you have this faith? That when the Lord afflicts, that there is no evil in it? Can you think that way? That when he afflicts, it is all for good. Can you have the faith, of, uh, the faith of Joseph? You thought it evil against me, but God meant it for good to save many people alive as at this day. Can you have that faith? If you cannot, can you at very least cry out from Luke 17, Lord, increase my faith. Certainly we can do that as step one of rebuilding high thoughts of God. 
Finally, then, I have to be very brief on this, so you'll have to be good listeners here. And that is, do not let people turn you off of this mindset. Turn off the naysayers. Turn off those who would have you think hard thoughts of God, who would commiserate with you in your hard thoughts. Turn away from them, beloved. They don't seek to do you any good, but evil instead. Surround yourselves with people that will encourage you to think high thoughts of God instead. And hear them. We must turn our ears from those who tell us what we have been denied. And we must not be of those that who are cheerleaders in advancing the mindset of our brothers and sisters when they speak as Naomi. What did Naomi say? Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. The Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and I've come back empty. You know, I wept when I read this because it never hit me like this before. What did the Lord say to Naomi through Boaz and Ruth? Do you remember? At the end of chapter 3, after Ruth appears at the threshing floor of Boaz, remember Naomi's words. The Lord set, he set me out full and he brought me back empty. He's dealt very bitterly with me. She's thinking hard thoughts of God. Boaz tells Ruth, go not back to your mother-in-law empty. Oh, wow. Now we know what's going on there. And what did Naomi learn when she had Obed, right, at her breast? What did she learn? That the Lord only takes in order to give more. So don't say with Naomi, the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. Keep the first name. Naomi means pleasant. And look for the end of the Lord, as James will tell us in James chapter 5, that the end of the Lord is that he is gracious. We may not be able to see it in the midst of it, but we can always have the confidence that he is gracious. If ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, beloved, then go on to a full draft. Go on to a full draft. You will find him to be gracious. Let's close with James chapter 5 for a moment. Verse 10. I'll leave you to meditate on this passage without hardly any comment at all. Verse 10 of James 5. Take, brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. This is where we must fall in our afflictions, beloved. Let's stand and call upon the Lord in prayer.
Our dear Heavenly Father, we come unto Thee mindful of the temptations under which we suffer and at times under which we fall, to think hard thoughts of Thee. Help us when we are tempted to think hard thoughts of Thee, to remember the thoughts that Thou dost think toward us, thoughts of mercy, thoughts of peace, to give to us that hopeful and confident end O Lord, help us then to be like those that were in Babylon, to hear the word of the prophet and to receive it with joy. Whether we were those aged who must remain under trouble until the end of our lives or those who would see the deliverance of Jerusalem, help us to find thy mercies in the day-to-day living and not be defined by troubles. Help us to have high thoughts of thee and to turn away from those who would bring those high thoughts down. Help us to surround ourselves, we ask, with those who will encourage us to those high thoughts. And Father, when we cannot find that depth of faith or that height in our hearts to apply unto thee and ask for increase. To go to the one who is never weary nor faints and who gives strength to the weary. To go to him who is able to cause us not to wear out in well-doing, who will increase our faith. Lord, help us to come to Thee. And we, we thank Thee for the next verse, which says, And when you seek me, you will find me. So, Lord, help us then to think on these things, to resist those temptations, to think low or hard thoughts of thee, and to think high thoughts instead, we pray in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.